0: Business, the blog and podcast for game changers and innovators in the construction industry.
1: Hello and welcome to episode 77 of the AEC Business Podcast. This recording was first released at Recotec.fi on November 16th, 2018. I'm Arnie Heiskanen and my guest is Roger Nichols, partner at Bureau Hapold. Roger, it's nice to have you on the podcast. Yeah, nice to be here, Arne. Um, could you first tell us a little bit about your company? Yes, certainly.
0: Um, Bureau Hapold Engineering is a project-based uh, organization. We work on a wide range of visionary, disruptive uh, client architect uh, challenges. Um, we're at our best, really, when we're working on projects which transform the societies that they serve in the projects like the High Line in, in New York, or Cornell, Cornell Tech in, in New York, or the Museum of the Future in Dubai, or Tottenham's new stadium. Um, or even Mercedes-Benz and Berlin. Engineering and and consulting sit at our core and our team is populated by specialists from every element of the built environment. And and we really focus on the design of buildings and cities in all of their senses. We're not a global company, but we're multinational and we have a strong presence in the US, in the UK, Europe, Middle East, India and, and Asia. And and we believe completely in outcome-driven design to really understand the value of what we do in our clients and in their customers' terms and to use this to, if you like, drive our design and consulting work. And that's that's why this is so, so interesting, really. There's so much opportunity now for us to access data and analytics, visualization, machine learning, AI, to be able to significantly create better evidence-based insights about what Our clients and our customers need and how to improve the outcomes for them you know the whole kind of environment for collaboration is is changing so much now and the application of technology the use of data is part of our culture it's part of our desire to analyze and solve problems and has kind of always been an intrinsic component of our success our designs generally our work um, that you would experience tends to push design to its limits and we have this really rich culture and more and more now, we expect our teams to use the technology they have to change the clients' expectations and ambitions. And personally, um, uh, I'm an engineer. But like so many people at Bureau Huald, I completely believe that we should be using our skills to address social inequity in all of its forms, because change in society stems from that basic need, and most progressive transformers see and respond to that in a kind of economically, socially and environmentally responsible way. And, you know, I've been really fortunate to build my career with some of the most transformational projects, working for some fantastically visionary clients in societies uh, across the globe. And really to be able to combine that, that desire for excellence with an imperative to modernize and change, for, change our firm uh, and kind of make sure that we drive business performance, sustainability for us and for our clients. It's a fantastic time to be in our industry.
1: How would you say uh, this built environment design and engineering have changed over the last uh, five to ten years? And what impact have those changes uh, had on your work?
0: Sometimes our industry feels that it's, it's ahead of the game, you know, that, that we're pioneers. But actually, quite often, we're in the dark ages. And, and you know, creating um, the opportunity for change is, is kind of left or has been left historically to innovators and researchers and kind of heads of innovation. But it feels like that's all changing. And, you know, I would say in the last five to ten years, at a kind of building scale, our industry has kind of resolved how to define and use BIM, three-dimensional object-based design. The principles are pretty much set, and we've all got teams now who have developed their skills working only in those environments. So we're not changing them. That's the way they've always worked. The software analysis software is getting better. We're well on the way to having enhanced the the design process, if you like, in in an integrated way. There are a few niche players who still refuse to to work in that space, but they're getting uh, kind of fewer and fewer. So five years ago, it was all about BIM readiness. And I would say that that change has happened in a reasonably well-organized way. And, And there are quite a lot of progressive organizations now who really only do thinking in a kind of BIM or technologically designed mindset. And, and that means that we can solve problems today that, that we just simply couldn't have tackled 15, 20 years ago in quite the same with quite the same levels of efficiency. I take the roof of the Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta as a classic example. You now, that could not have been delivered, or the Museum of the Future in, in Dubai could not have been delivered uh, without those advances. But I have to say, you know, that's the... The big successful piece, the design for manufacture side of things, you know, that's been successful at a component level, but the industry is not really responding, other than single type um, solutions to a modularised uh, approach. Particularly, let's say in urban regeneration. Um, so there's a lot of stuff that, that, a lot of opportunity that that still sits in there. And I think the other thing that I would say or that I would see over the last five five years is that we're starting as engineers and in our industry, we're starting to get much more engaged in in the client's journey. We're starting to really understand how to use analytics, data, visualization, AI, and all of those things to, to think about building performance or city performance and to think about opportunities. We're starting to talk about digital twins for buildings. We're, we're, we're a long way from actually getting proper post occupancy evaluation going, but we're starting to see responses. We've got a project um, called Weckl-Werkenen in Berlin, which, which, and it's called that because it sort of describes the relationships between um, what seems unrelated suddenly becoming visible. And that project is all about using insight and foresight to solve kind of multi-parameter, competent parameter design challenges. And it's been led by one of our most progressive partners, Wolf Mangelsdorf, and it builds on all of the work in in kind of all of our work in that format. And it's about addressing the the shortage of affordable housing, but recognising that we failed in recent years. I mean, to really rethink our approach to urban to urban design and planning, we have to shift our thinking to quality of life rather than just form you know we need to redefine goals and outcomes as real parameters like all of the others and resetting performance criteria analytics and so on to zest those fully so lots of progress um, but you know beyond buildings, the industry simply hasn't got its head or its minds around around data in the city mobility integrated infrastructure uh, in a kind of integrated way For the last four or five years i've been fortunate enough to work on projects like Dubai Metro or Riyadh Metro, where we're very good at designing a piece of infrastructure, like a train set, if you like, and dropping it onto the city. But we're still miles away from a, from a sort of meaningful city platform design approach using all of the data that exists. And lots of investment going into that space by the likes of Google, but there's still no real go-to-market. So there's so much more to do in that um, in that space beyond buildings, and I see some mayors like Eric Cochetti in Los Angeles really pushing that agenda, but it's not a it's not a priority. And I think that's the future of engineering. And our future is about integration of specialists and enabling our specialists to inform our clients in a much broader way. And we we have this hierarchy or structure in uh, in the construction industry and in the everything that sits around construction industry that doesn't necessarily help to deliver progress all the things we know you know all the things around uh, the united nations sustainable development goals paris Accords, everything that happened in in world habitat in, in ecuador none of that's gone away but the governments are kind of acting as if they have you know starting to to, to forget about some of the critical challenges around climate around energy and, and so on and so forth so so it's been a very interesting five to ten years you, know, you can't ignore the effect, the effect of the as uh, a complete reset of the world economy in, in 2008 but it's been it's been interesting
1: you talked about your international team and and what kind of work you do but what is innovation to you and how does your team innovate
0: um you know, there's a context side to this um which which kind of comes a little bit before the question i think it, it, it's fascinating at the moment to see how much diversity there is in, in global approaches you know, for example, in Dubai, you know, change happens very quickly. Decision-making is very linear and, and very quick. In the UK, very different. And in, in the US, you know, decision-making at the moment a is little, a little bit confused. And we did a, we did a series of design sprints um, around autonomous vehicle integration in the city. And we went all over the globe. We In in each city, we pulled together around eighty people from from a very wide um, mix: from users of the city, from regulators of the city, from technician technical providers, from designers, architects, and citizens. And we got them all um, together and gave them the same challenge around redesigning a city district for autonomous vehicles. And we and we sort of studied how the teams found and developed those opportunities, and 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 it was fascinating. The insight that we hadn't expected was that the approaches or the the responses were completely different depending on the geography. So in Pittsburgh, the conversation was entirely dominated by technology and how people would interface with vehicles and the environment, how you could create technological integration, kind of, in, in hindsight, living off the US's obsession with personal technology. In Berlin, on the other hand, the conversation was entirely dominated by how you could reach consensus and manage, manage the kind of competing demands and upsides, how you could, in effect, democratise the benefits. Totally different conversation. In Dubai, it, interestingly, perhaps not surprisingly, it was about road pricing. How would you design a system to allow funding to, to determine access? So the more money you had, the more easy uh, your transportation could be. And then you know, in Mumbai, it was all about time. And it was driven uh, a conversation driven around shared mobility because the but the perspectives there and the use of a personal car are so different and so that that got us into into thinking about or reflecting if you like about innovation in the firm and how to use the fact that every perspective and every environment perceives problems in a slightly different way, and you get the best solutions by by connecting them together and so for us, I think, you know, what is innovation and how does the team innovate? Innovation only works in engineering firms. If it's, if it's got a really broad ambition, if the whole culture of the firm is based around that ambition, it, you know, it might kind of sound unlikely. But if everybody has a mindset which is, is somehow striving to increase personal skill, personal technology, and also then getting people to a place where they have a, a the sort of same level of understanding, then they can go on and develop so getting that mindset um, and that and that support in the culture of the firm was really important. And so we started that journey by really elevating the importance of communities in the firm, and to give those communities the freedom to develop ideas, to think, to support each other. And very quickly, out of that of that kind of community. Um, view a community uh, emerged that that called themselves the computational collective they're a group of people who are innovating perhaps slightly underground in the firm and were collaborating already but weren't doing it visibly and weren't doing it on a platform that that was um that was kind of uh, creating global support we brought them together in edinburgh i think it was in in 2013 and we we started to, to to give them space to develop a way of working ways of curating code they developed our approach to github they developed a common platform in the firm for curating data which we call the bomb for sharing code and and authorizing authoring solutions and so on and so forth and then you know, they were supported the, the, these these teams were supported by quite a few members of the, of the leadership team quite a few members of within uh, within the partnership and slowly over five years that has built and built and built to create an environment that is that has completely transformed how we approach design so you know guessing somewhere between 30 40 maybe 50 percent of the firm can now code more importantly they see us the assembly of code elements from first principles as a way to solve any problem yet you know that might sound like a that might sound like a seemingly obvious thing, but our industry is obsessed with building better and better and more complex, great big analysis machines that, that you know, you take a problem and you hammer the problem so that it will fit in the analysis machine and it will come out at the end of the, of the process. It um, doesn't work like that anymore. I mean, we, we now have a, a view where people can take the problem and they can assemble the bits of code, they can find the bits of where bolt the things together to um, to to create a uh, parameter-based, an entirely parameter-based solution to, to the problem. And so, you know, slightly trite, but you might say now that every well, we do say, actually, that everybody in Bureau of Apple has their code face on. We've got everybody to a, to a similar, or teams have got characters to a similar level of understanding. And now there's completely open sharing that enables people to combine their purpose, why they became an engineer, with their capability. and we. We've chopped, we chopped innovation, if you like, into three, into three things. And I think this is fairly common. Um, you We're know, talking to other, um, other leaders in business, and the approach is quite common. The first thing is about intensifying. And so we focus on process improvement and on doing things better. Now, you can sweep all of our BIM activity into that space, probably most of our design activities, a lot of our production goes into intensification. It, it's it is, I guess, by nature, efficiency-based and it's an area where engineers are, were pretty naturally gifted, and you know, that's what we do anyway. And it reduces costs. but it rarely actually changes the experience of the customer or delivers new insights. Lots of firms call this digital disruption. Lots of digital innovation is going on in all sectors, actually, around this sort of process improvement, projects like the Louvre or Morpheus and the or Tottenham. They wouldn't have been possible without those improvements. And again, our environmental... Performance work sits in that field, but that's the comfortable place. So innovation and intensification is comfortable, and our industry is comfortable there. And I think you find a lot of investment and a lot of support going into processes. Too. But we like to think about innovation actually around the end user's experience, and we've obsessed quite a lot. Uh, around the idea of using our technologies to provide insight to our clients to allow them to disrupt disrupt their customers' experience. Because very often our client is a property developer or is an asset owner or is a public authority. It's very rare that we're directly accessing the end user, uh, the person who's going to be sitting in the office or the person who's going to sit in in the stadium. So, So we've been thinking very much around insights to our clients. And you probably heard some of our claims. It, you know, we claim now that we can design a stadium so that a team will win more games. We call that home advantage by focusing on the things that create fan experience, analyzing them, creating predictive, measurable outcomes. Not engineering in the traditional sense, but it's hugely valuable and it's still applying those engineering skills to, to create a, a, or retain a stronger atmosphere to help a team to perform. We're working with lots of clients on building system integration and the link that, that link that kind of creates to, to productivity. So sensor technology now means we can measure pretty much every component of a building's performance and therefore measuring and mapping that building performance back against something, whether it's daylight or daylighting or the blend of daylighting associated with, with um, air change rates or whether it's actually the physical locations of desks, whether it's how people move about in that space and we can measure it and simple things like, if you, um, if you say to the to to the CEO that he needs to record a podcast or a, a global cast that is three minutes long and you slow the list down in the building so the list takes four minutes long, you play that in the lobbies, everybody will see the podcast. A so simple insight type, things like that. Using people movement technology, you know, we've been innovating around that for years to understand how to optimize check-in in, a, in, a, in an airport, let's say, or waiting room usage around critical assets in a, in a hospital or looking at um, how you might map a whole of transit through, through a cultural venue, how people move through um, um, through something um, like the Philharmonie in, in Hamburg, or even how Lower Manhattan works. We've done a piece of work looking at uh, people mobility in Lower Manhattan and what you can do to change the orientation of the streets, the signage, the determination of, of where people sit to 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 understand how to make that part of the city more effective. Now, those sorts of things are, are really strong in our, in our innovation. And, and if we create broad networks, get people to talk to each other, bring in small-scale innovators um, to help us build teams, because we don't have all this stuff in-house, then we can start to create momentum. And I think you know, my ambition, um, my ambition for the rest of my career is to see how we can get this going at a city scale, something that we, we still really struggle with, space performance in the city. And then the third thing, you know, having, having talked about intensification and uh, innovation, the third thing is about incubator. And that's where we start to think about changing the business model, working with some of the technology firms in one, you know, we're working with all of the major technology firms in one way or another on some of their leading-edge projects. And they're struggling, we're struggling, because the kind of go-to-market at a, at a city's scale is, is so hard. So this incubation idea about building um, small components of, of whether it's software, whether it's licensing, whether it's modeling, that enables us to change the business model and try and break down some of the, uh, of the challenges that exist around data to properly create digital twins of buildings, to properly start to, to remove some of the protectionism that sits around share, shared ownership of data. You know, we we see that incubate space. There's an area where we're working with industry on, on common things. And to get to that requires a whole scale of, uh, change in the way that you think about business models. The intensification, that's actually pretty easy, really, and a journey we're well on with. Innovation is exciting and something that we've really got our handles on. The incubation side of things is, is the area where I think we're struggling and perhaps where the, we see that struggle going in across the, uh, across the industry.
1: Uh, Roger, you're going to be a panelist at Recotec, the official Slush uh, side event in December. What are you going to discuss there?
0: I think um, I think there's a few. There's some clear messages about about splitting out who we think the customer is and who the end user is going to be. Might seem like a really simple set statement, but we often lack the confidence to kind of empathise with end users. We let our clients end that. The whole thing about about customer journey and how we inform and improve the customer journey should be at the the forefront of our thinking, not just sitting in that intensified space. Now, there is a clear emerging story around exploring impact, visualization, data, which informs, and we want to encourage everybody we work with, whoever they might be, to challenge, to develop an agenda, to offer views and debate freely. So I'm really interested in seeing where the, the the supporters to our industry, where so much of the of the of the kind of enabling technology and thinking is going on i'm I'm, I'm really interested to understand where visualization real type, real time prototyping, opportunity development, where the goals are for for the industry, and therefore how we can start to think about acting as a platform rather than as a hierarchy what are the platforms that the industry needs and how do we create them i think we we have so much opportunity we have we have so much ability to be confident to lead commercially money informs almost every decision and so being focused positively on the opportunity that money creates trying to find ways to balance that with ambition and trying to understand where where the kind of positivity is in the people those are the things uh, those are the things for me i yeah, i 'm really interested to know where where the industry 's mindset is around is around kind of purpose and around what it is that we need to be doing in our industry. All the great engineers that I know have a really clear purpose and when we asked everybody in bureau Apple what they stood for and they wanted to be, they were crystal clear across the globe that you know they wanted us as a firm to value human well being to have diverse uh, one from cultures to embrace mutual responsibility, to care about the legacy of our work and to be more than just a business, to be vested in the responsibility that we have as a shaper and an influencer. And for us to continue to put economic, social, and, uh, and environmental sustainability at the core of our work and to, to see if we can kind of foster a, a dynamic between technology and, and empathy. You know, we're part of an industry that has more potential than any other, and one that thrives on complexity. If we keep providing purpose, we keep embracing societal improvement, we can continue to thrive. And if engineering just wants to improve its process, then I'd say we're not long for the world. So I'm really interested. There's no better time to integrate technology, empathy, and design. There's no better time. And I'll keep coming back to the same same thing. we, We need integrators. We need people who are determined to get the industry engaged on projects for change. In the UK, for example, what Render is doing with the development around Houston Station Visionary, and they have the opportunity as a major client to am confident they'll take to change their game. We're seeing the same with major clients in Detroit, in the city we, we've been involved in for, for many levels. So, you know, I really... I'm really interested in, in our ability to encourage everybody engaged in this industry to think about the role they want to play in these sorts of teams and what products or solutions they can bring to fill the gap between capability and confidence. Let's find backers in clients, let's find backers on projects and pitch at solutions, not just at the process side of things.
1: Roger, this has been very interesting. Finally, how can our listeners uh, connect with you?
0: I think uh, well, you can find me um, find me on, on LinkedIn, obviously. Um, uh, and whilst we're whilst we there and at the conference, you know, to come and talk to me and and um, let's spend some, some time together. And I, you know, I'll spend a little bit of time afterwards to try and try and create that opportunity to build collaborations, build teams, build uh, an understanding, and, and, uh, and create some momentum for, for continuing to disrupting the industry. Mm-hmm.